In this discussion, we'll be focusing on effective career guidance and how it relates to the future world of work. We'll be looking at how the world of work has changed over the last decade or so um, and look forwards with regards to the next sort of five to 10 years um, to consider whether we're adequately preparing students and equipping them with the skills and tools to succeed in the ever-changing world of work they find themselves in uh, once they leave school and higher education. Um, so yeah, great to have you all on the call. Thanks so much for joining. Um, let's do a quick, uh, let's do a quick round of introductions, shall we? Um, I'm just going to go by the order of the tiles here. David, do you want to do you want to kick off and quickly introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, everybody. First of all, thanks for being here. I hope this is a topic that uh, we can all unpack and, and find some some common threads. Uh, my name is David Turner. I'm the College and Career Counselor here at the Dwight School of Dubai, and it's a pleasure being here. Fantastic. Thanks, David. Uh, is that Jill to connect? Hi, everyone. Uh, it's very exciting to be part of this uh, conversation today. Uh, I'm a high school. I'm one of the high school counselors at American School of Doha in Qatar, and um, yeah, I, this is my sixth year at my current location, and I'm happy to be part of this conversation today. Brilliant, thanks, Is that Jason? Do you want to go next? Yeah, Jason Holly, uh, currently at uh, Hong Kong International School. I'm a high school counselor, a comprehensive counselor who does the social emotional piece as well as the uh, college careers advising. Uh, and this is my eighth year here at this school. Brilliant. And last but definitely not least, Andy. Hey, I'm Andy Johnson. I'm from Immerse Education. I'm based in the UK. Um, I'm basically responsible for running all of our online programs for 13 to 18 year olds and also developing new programs. Really happy to be here. Looking forward to the discussion today. Fantastic. Awesome. So, yeah, wealth of experience from different regions as well, which will make, you know, make it a really, really interesting conversation, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, dive, diving straight into the first question, really. Um, you know, let, let's, let's consider how, how has the world of work changed over the last maybe, say, 20 to 30 years? Um, and how might we sort of anticipate the world of work changing into the future? Some sort of high level, high level thoughts here. Um, who'd, who'd like to who'd like to kick off that? Well, look, I'm happy to kick off. I can speak from personal experience. There's that old uh, expression that half of the jobs that will exist in sort of 20, 30 years don't even exist yet. And that was certainly true for me when I was at university. You know, I did a history degree and I've worked in international education pretty much ever since graduating and find myself running online programs that didn't even exist back then. So I think it's always difficult to predict where we're going, I think, in terms of uh, where we currently find ourselves post-COVID, I think we're going to see a real shift towards uh, initiatives and organisations that are sustainable, that are focusing much more on the environmental concerns that we find ourselves in at the moment. But yeah, I mean, it's always a bit of crystal ball gazing when you look to the future. Anyone else want to jump in on that? How's the world of work <laughs> change? Is that what do you want to, what, what do you think? Did you say Z? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I actually, you know, before this call, I, I uh, just to refresh my, you know, existing knowledge. I watched a lot of uh, videos on YouTube and on those kind of platforms, and now I'm like full of those uh, information. And uh, I think uh, the the major changes in, of course, in the industries, you know, in the world, uh, also, uh, you know, change the the future of the the nature of the work the nature of education you know like um when, when i started my college in 2002 
you know, uh, I had the desktop. Now, you know, uh, and it it was a uh, it was something you know it was a tool to have you know. But now my students have you know smartphones, tablets, and you know like their learning tools are definitely different. So this I think is one of the important changes that obviously impacts everything. And obviously the the work uh, like I'm thinking of uh, my parents, for example, they were like you know from eight to five. It was very structured, you know, it was very workplace. And that works, you know, now becomes, especially with the pandemic, pe people work on the beach, people work from home. So, you know, the, from office or from more structured to, from maybe non-structured, you know, uh, uh, places. So it jumped into that kind of, a, uh, you know, a shift and, um, uh, that there, there weren't jobs like gig economy or those kind of part-time jobs, but they became, you know, something uh, available for young people or for people of, you know, certain ages. So uh, definitely the automation increased a lot, you know, uh, and it, it replaced definitely some jobs, I think. And I think it keeps replacing it for more. Um, but on the other side, for more for most positive changes, I think, I think there is more the emphasis on diversity and inclusion, uh, or at least there is awareness uh, on the workplaces, which is good. You know, I think it's a very important, and I think there is more importance to work-life balance, especially for the last few years. Yeah, I would echo uh, what I've heard so far. I think that, you know, when it comes to changes, even when I talk to my students, I think that it's important to, yeah, anyone's guess the crystal ball, but at the same time, you know, when you're talking to young people, there needs to be some kind of uh, first row and the ladder discussion. I think that when it comes to um, the proposed changes, uh, there are factors we can consider. I mean, one has already been mentioned, you know, remote jobs and remote workspaces. Um, that, to me, is very exciting. Even governments are leaning into specialized visas to promote that kind of nomadic e-commerce. Um, flexible workforce as well, I think, is important. And there's two other things for us to consider as well. I don't think uh, I don't think any of us is, is surprised about the digital disruption, you know, that, that's here right now with AI and chat GPT and some of the other things that we're experiencing. And I think, I, I believe that those will certainly have uh, a huge impact on, on the future for, for jobs and, and workspaces. But let's also not forget that a lot of our uh, workforce is currently aging. And so, you know, a, a trip to the Bureau of Labor Statistics will show you that, you know, we need to start thinking about, yes, digital jobs. We need to look at big data. We need to look at software and, and engineering structures. But we also need to look at things like healthcare and home health and personal needs. So those are all, I think, um, real opportunities. And again, going back to what I've already said, or what's already been said, I should say, um, it is, it's anybody's guess. Yeah, similar similar thoughts here. <clears throat> Automation, if if uh, if it can be automated, it is probably going to be. Um, just as I think we're all seeing in supermarkets that uh, we're now checking ourselves out, and uh, who knows how many other uh, professions may wind up, um, you know, kind of falling uh, away because it can be done, um, you know, automatically. Um, with the remote working, I guess one piece that I'd add is something that we can, I think, try to impart in our students is that. 
with remote working, I think comes that extra autonomy and, and the flexibility, but also like it's some added responsibility where you're not going to have a supervisor like swinging by your office, um, you know, perhaps every, every day, uh, a couple of times to check in on how something is going. And so trying to get students to, to, to realize that also with their schooling, you know, that there isn't going to be a teacher who's constantly checking in on you and whether that project is done or paper is finished or, you know, um, administering that exam or, or whatnot. So trying to foster more of those independent um, skills uh, in the school setting. Uh, and then I think it was already mentioned about kind of like, um, you know, the job changes and the, the jobs that don't exist currently, um, but also preparing our students, you know, for that, of that, that we don't, I think we need to break out of the idea that we're, we're having them choose a career, you know, when we're doing inventories or when we're exposing them to like different possibilities that, um, it's it's instead I think we need to reframe things as issues they care about or problems they want to solve or um, kind of like different passion areas that they have rather than like well you should take these classes and then you'll major in this and then you'll get a job in such and such and, and instead you know kind of try to keep we need to reframe I think from the career advising standpoint of uh, of that that dynamic model of like, yeah, every 10 years, you really might be changing. And so um, as long as you're, you're in things that you care about, um, but, but you have that, that flexibility um, to, to pivot, um, you know, then you're going to be in a, in a better position. And I think Andy and David both brought up good points that, that also like, whatever we talk about here over the next half hour, like, you know, it could be, it could be, we could be completely wrong, you know, and that we can't predict the future. And so therefore, how can we foster that flexibility in our students? Cause we can't anticipate the future. So rather than preparing them for narrow pathways, how can we keep as many doors open as possible? Yeah. I think that's just a, a brilliant point, Jason. I think you're absolutely right. It's about preparing them for a whole range of possible outcomes. But I think the key thing that you said there, which I fully agree with, it's about understanding passion and identifying the things that they're interested in and then guiding them to think about how they can work within that field, within what matches their own values and what that matches their own, their own morals, if you like. There's one other thing I would add to that as well. It's important to remember one of the things I tell my kids all the time. Remember, when we're reaching into the future, we're not reaching to a final destination. We're simply looking for the next row on the map. And so um, one of the things I hope to talk about later is, is immigration. I think if we go from high school to college and career. And so if we can be flexible enough. I really appreciate that, that term, Jason. I think you're right. We need to be flexible enough to give kids the time to, to continue to develop as young academics as well as people who are learning skills in life as well so um yeah i agree i totally agree that flexibility is quintessential uh, all right i'm gonna have to steal your catchphrase there david reaching into the future not determining the final destination i'll, I'll try to quote you the though. great I'll tagline <laughs> I, I just want to add something you know while, while listening to you and uh, while uh, i was thinking about this question you know i think the in the past the career paths were more linear. You know, people were finishing high schools. If they have the, you know, opportunity, they were going to colleges or universities or, you know, getting degrees and getting a job and, you know, coming to a point that, you know, later in their career. But now I think with the expansion of technology, 
which opened new, I think, uh, opportunities for people from different parts of the world. People in mm -hmm. their early twenties can become the co-founder of you know startups or certain companies, game companies or tech companies, and can suddenly become a millionaire or billionaire. And then they find themselves leading people, you know, in their early years of their life. Uh, I think this is. Uh, this is, and it, of course, you know, with the expansion of technology or in all over the world, you know, I think, uh, you know, people are, uh, especially the young people, I think are also very tempted to uh, jump in their careers. They are, they are not like, I think, us or like the previous generations who are thinking very linear. I finish my college and then I go and have another degree maybe. And then, and then so they are just, jumping ahead and I want to be the CEO. I want to be the co-founder. I want to, so I think this is a, also a big change, you know, in the mindset, you know, towards work. Yeah. It's what I, you know, see, uh, you know, what I observe. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to the, um, you know, the, the fact that the world of work has changed so dramatically, um, how, how can educators and guidance specialists, um, you know, begin to sort of close that gap um, between what students are learning at school and what will be expected of them when they enter the uh, into the workforce? Um, I would love to start. This is where I would love to throw down my, my, my soapbox and, you know, high school, college, career. I think greater collaboration. And I actually see it. And I, I promote it within the communities that, that, that I navigate and people, other people do as well. Um, high school, college, and career is a continuum. And so it's a continuous. And, and when you have people like myself and some others who are college counselors and you have our, our university counterparts and, you know, just like they lean into industry to help out, um, I think that kind of collaboration, moreover, that kind of uh, stakeholder, uh, capability to circle the wagons and sharpen the pencils and start to look at, you know, how does it work? The whole thing from soup to nuts. Um, I know that I can lean into any one of my university counterparts um, and, and get this kind of information. Not so much about the curriculum as such. That could be part of the conversation, but moreover, how to take the information they know and bring value to the community I serve. And, you know, we just had a career day here and we had 17 universities here, and we had a panel discussion talking about how careers are changing and how students can, you know, restructure the internal dialogue to start considering how careers can potentially influence, you know, studying fields and so forth. And so, you know, just to have that capture, that contiguousness, that collaboration amongst stakeholders on that same spectrum. In my humble opinion, I think that's that's a real house fire. Any other thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, I would agree with the collaboration piece, you know, for sure. I think there's other kind of components that um, I think educators could include more, you know, in the curriculum. I think I think progressive schools already include elements like entrepreneurship and makerspaces and hackathons and problem-based learning um, and, and kind of more of a model where the teacher doesn't have the answers and they're actually more like working collectively, like towards like potential solutions, um, you know, rather than there being like that direct instruction model of the teacher knows everything and then they're telling the student everything and then they're taking 
notes and then they're sitting for an exam, you know, a couple of weeks later, uh, which is pretty, pretty antiquated. Uh, but that said, I don't think that there needs to be like a huge uh, revolution. So maybe I'm, I'm more of an incrementalist, but I guess I, I feel that the classic subjects um, and, and, and when done well, uh, I think courses and, and subjects that teach students how to read, how to write, how to speak, how to find evidence, how to formulate a hypothesis and how to calculate and how to draw conclusions and how like to do really what I think we would all agree that like these are the the ultimate outcomes like these are these are those like transdisciplinary goals these big picture things that we want students to walk away with i think you can get that from a very traditional um you know school model as long as it is done i think well um and so i don't think we have to like blow up the whole concept of of school or else we actually potentially wind up i think sort of chasing some trendy um, but maybe misguided you know kind of approach you know to education but i do think that that the pedagogy of like well how is that implemented and what you know how how in the classroom it's not like we need to throw away english classes and history classes or and and just do stem and you know technology and everyone should just do coding and that's it it's like well no um but that said is like what what actually is happening in that classroom and and is it this more interactive and open-ended and and maybe even like independently directed you know kind of learning and and our our schools and teachers creating you know those opportunities for those students to to mimic what life will later be like where they don't have the answer and they're 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 given a task by a supervisor to say we need to create something here you know a client wants such and such and we're not sure what's going to work best. Can you, you know, let's prototype a couple of things over the next two months. And if they haven't had that experience and they've just been lectured to and then examined, it's like, well, then that's going to be a really intimidating, you know, kind of a work environment. But if they've kind of been in that environment where teachers have put them in that position before and, um, you know, and, and kind of tasked them with that that original approach and, and coming up with multiple solutions, then they're going to feel a little bit more prepared for the the unknown environments, you know, that will that will come later. Yeah, I, just to pick up on that point, I think that we talk about what kind of world we're preparing the kids for, what we're preparing our students for, and there's this concept of VUCA, the the um, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity that we find ourselves in in a whole bunch of different ways. But that final point, the ambiguity, I think with remote working, there is an enormous amount of ambiguity that perhaps wasn't there in the past. And to your point, Jason, I think that working with students to help them work independently and build those analytical, critical thinking skills in order to be able to basically take a project and run with it. I think these are key skills that perhaps we didn't used to teach 10, 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, I keep coming back to this idea that really, we're not really preparing them for a particular job. We're not preparing students for a particular role anymore. I think it's our role to give them a whole bunch of skills in order to be able to work in the environments that they find themselves in. And to give you an example of that, I mean, at Immerse, we are putting together a new program 
which focus specifically on this. We're looking at the future of work and the future of study and how all these things play into it. Like how will AI affect the law profession, for example? You know, will there be uh, judgments in a court of law that are done through artificial intelligence? Similarly with, with medicine, how will robotics affect medicine? Will there be simple routine surgery that's done by robots? You know, all those kinds of things. Engineering, how will how can engineering ever be completely sustainable so it's it's about understanding the themes as much as the the academic content and the, the kind of context that our learners will find themselves in absolutely any 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 final thoughts on that before we move on to focusing uh, on more sort of region specific um yes is it not region specific but i you know uh, I, i'm thinking you know uh, because uh, for the last few years, our efforts are combining, uh, like merging the SDG goals, for example, into the curriculum, merging the EDIJ, you know, into the curriculum. I think, uh, you know, what educators and guidance specialists, you know, can do is, you know, really uh, while designing the curriculum, while designing everything, you know, related to the education of students or learning of the students, you know, considering these uh, changes in the world that impacts also the the future of the you know work. What I mean is, the for example climate change you know or or this uh, ongoing um, uh, the digitalization or everything you know. But uh, when students are in the classroom learning whatever you know science, social studies, math you know making them work on the real world problems. So that it gives them more purpose, it gives them more reasoning, and it motivates them about what they learn. And the more I think we uh, merge the curriculum with these kind of like real world issues, I think the students will be also more uh, encouraged, and it will also help them. I think um, uh, learn about their interest, their passion. You know, find out because I think if they can also, uh, if we can also. Uh, you know, make them expose themselves to different uh, experiences, like go to the community and learn about their needs in terms of business or in terms of environment with bringing, having that mindset and bringing it into the classroom while learning whatever, math, math, or, or social studies, social studies. I think they can also find out their own uh, career ideas. They can reflect on themselves. That's what I think uh, the educators or the guidance specialists can do. Hey, can I kick that can just a little further, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> On a recent client, I had an absolutely amazing opportunity to witness some of these things firsthand. One of the things that really has me excited that our universities are starting to do is really embrace this interdisciplinary approach to learning. And so, I was in Iowa State, and I watched a session with um, within their business uh, college, and the students were there learning negotiation skills. And funnily enough, I'm thinking, well, these are business kids, and no, some of them were engineering students, some of them were uh, language people or liberal art people. And I thought to myself, this is kind of cool. Um, I was in a session last night with Rose from. Uh, St. Thomas, and again, this discussion point came up to see how, you know, purely engineering degrees are possible, but schools and universities are also applying interdisciplinary 
uh, contact points for kids to further explore. And I think that's super, super important. Um, in that same session, I witnessed uh, negotiation tactics and the university, Iowa State, was able to pull in Palomindos, which is a huge company that's located nearby. And so having that kind of cross-pollinization, again, on that same continuum, and then also being able to explore the richness of integrating different curricula to and in a business as well, just moderate and, and to and to bring a finer point on that learning. Again, that was a real celebration for me. I, I think it kind of called as a culminating uh, example of some of the things that we just talked about. Yeah, and if there's that opportunity in school as well to, for students to to participate in that interdisciplinary nature, I think schools should try to capitalize on that. And I, I think that doesn't mean that every class, like we don't, we don't have to, it can be hard to, I think, envision like entire semester or year long classes that sort of mix and match. But even if there's just kind of the, the, you know, a, a, the decree of like, there needs to be a unit or a, or a certain project where, all right, in the science class, you're going to incorporate a humanities element or in the humanities class, you're going to incorporate a quantitative mathematical element and, and, you know, kind of challenging teachers to think in that interdisciplinary way when perhaps they've been trained in a very, you know, kind of unit disciplinary, um, you know, sort of way and, and getting departments talking to each other. And, um, even something as simple as like, I can think of like kind of the, of the two schools that I've, that I've worked for, you know, overseas that, um, sometimes even just having those common spaces where like at one school, like we ate all late lunch together, it was a small school. And so like all the faculty just kind of had a couple of tables and all the students were in the tables behind. But man, the conversations that would come up and when you get a science teacher sitting next to a music teacher sitting next to a math teacher, and they're talking about what's going on in their class, and you identify connections, and you get talking and, and it just kind of, you know, kind of potentially just generates like some of those ideas so that they don't have to, students don't have to wait to university, you know, to kind of get that more interdisciplinary, you know, element or the workforce, but rather they actually get some exposure to it, you know, even, even in high school, where if not done well, you can easily fall into these different silos of subjects and, and exams that kind of are, are only associated with that particular subject. That's cool, Jason. And it, it shows it can be done quite easily, right? You know, just creating a common space where people can get together across disciplines, you know, just just creating, facilitating that environment can just inspire lots of different thoughts and ideas, right? Across across disciplines. Yeah, and really interesting. To, just to, on yeah. that point, I mean, one of the things that came out of COVID, you, you know, with, with everybody being locked down and working independently, one of the things that was really difficult to foster was innovation. And because, to, to, you know, a lot of the time, great ideas come when you're in a situation like you've just described, where you're just bouncing ideas off each other. I mean, I guess we call them water cooler moments. And one of the things that we saw through COVID was a lot of intelligent people putting together um, virtual platforms, which would allow exactly this kind of group facilitation and group interaction. So I kind of see it being extended, not just from physical locations, but also into the virtual space as well. I mean, there's a lot of platforms out there that allow you to to have these breakout, not just breakout rooms, that's kind of feels very old fashioned now from where we are, but certainly there are these, these virtual spaces where you can collaborate and work on things together. 
Absolutely. And, and and now just sort of looking at sort of more region specific, um, you know, given the different regions you're you're all based, you know, Middle East, Southeast Asia, UK, um, how, how relevant are, are regional differences when it comes to, you know, current best practices around guidance counselling in schools? Be great to hear a bit about region specific uh, best practices. Um, who'd like to go first? Yeah, is that go for it? I can go first. I, uh, I mean, uh, my experience here, uh, I was in Turkey before and, you know, here I'm now here for the last six years. I think it's very important to uh, inform the parents here because the parents are still uh, very, you know, uh, they're very powerful uh, on their influencing the decision uh, of the students. You know, the students are not taking, of course, it it changes from family to family. We have expat families, we have local families, we have you know, regional people, uh, the families from region. But I will say, uh, I mean, I look at the majority, the parents are very powerful and, the, you know, the kids follow what their parents also think. You know, they are not very independent while uh, deciding on their career paths. That's why it's important to convince the parents about the changes of these future, you know, jobs. And because they want to, uh, I, I mean, I look at the jobs that our kids, you know, uh, consider, they are very mainstream, like engineering, medicine, like maybe the, the, the same jobs that existed 15 years ago as a list, you know. So, uh, you know, when we mention about the data science or the biotech or this kind of, they 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 want to know more, even, even though they're in the fields or, you know. So I think uh, that's a difference uh, here in, in terms of, you know, the region. Jason, do you want to say that? From yeah, for in, in, in Asia, I would say like there's still, um, you know, there remains, I think, a, a fixation on, on organizational prestige. And so I think like, like maybe highly progressive approaches to education, like a, like a, a micro credentialing or something is going to have a harder time, I think, um, you know, taking off um, because it, it, it unless you're building skills like later on in your career to, to maybe kind of upskill, but if you're kind of using it as a primary, um, I guess, uh, degree or, or, or means of, of trying to qualify like for certain career paths. And then actually what we've found over the last, um, you know, five years, at least at my, my school, that, um, university lists have become more homogenized, actually narrower that, that our students and our students have always been, I think, more focused on STEM and business than perhaps, you know, the global, you know, Average. And we have to take that into consideration and, the, and especially depending upon where someone wants to start their career, if they are going to be starting their career, say back in this region versus perhaps where they might go to university, say in, in North America or, or Europe, um, I think we can't, you know, totally disregard like the cultural values of, of the place from which they come into which they may uh, return. So I think we always have to set aside our own individual cultural values and, and try to put ourselves in the shoes of the uh, of the students and and as as Ed mentions, I think the the parents who have perhaps more influence than in other cultures. Um, that said, I find that our parent populations are they don't really care what's being taught in school as long as they get admitted to a prestigious university. So, <laughs> so the the outcome kind of like uh, overrules all else. So we could we could have drum circles and gong baths and and uh, sing kumbaya and if it gets them admitted into an ivy league school then they're going to be all about it um so so i do think there's the but there winds up being this trickle down effect of like well but what does a university want and so then as a school we we can talk about i think in, within this group you know which 
is all secondary education and, and, and or kind of focused towards serving the secondary school population of, of what might, you know, work best for the individual. But then we are, to a certain degree, um, influenced at least, um, and perhaps even more than just influenced, you know, by where are those students going and that pipeline and and what is that trickle down effect and what does the university say they require or recommend or what trends do we notice in terms of those students who are admitted you know to you know certain universities and so if a university says well we prefer AP calc you know regardless of what somebody is majoring in then we're going to keep advising our students to take AP Calc instead of AP Stats, even if from a data analysis standpoint, that student might actually be better off taking AP Stats or or the equivalent in, in whatever curriculum, you know, your schools use. But when universities of a particular, you know, kind of maybe group or tier um, have uh, an acceptance rate so low that they're using kind of random, not random, but like a un... <laughs> not directly connected to like their future field of study, but just using credentials and be like, well, they've got such and such. And when we only accept 15% of our applicant pool, we're looking for something to serve as a tiebreaker because everyone's amazing. So, all right, like, well, this student who has taken this thing that has nothing to do with their literature major, but they took calc. So it's like, yeah, all right, they're a more attractive candidate. But then that doesn't help us if we're trying to re-envision maybe what education looks like and, and how we're trying to steer our students to prepare for a future. Instead, we just, we wind up advising our students to follow the conventional path because that's ultimately what they want is this certain outcome. And so then, you know, we feel that conflict. And I've even told students before, I'm like, well, depending upon what hat I'm wearing, you know, I would advise you to take this class or that class. And, and so you as an individual student, you need to make your decision, but here are my two thoughts. But I, I do feel conflicted at times because of that, that trickle down effect. I think in the UK, at least you mentioned the traditional path there. And that was, um, it is quite eye-opening because I think that we we still have that traditional path in the UK. Obviously, we've we've got an extensive university network, and at Immerse, we do a lot of work with students that want to go to those um, high-end universities, such as Oxford or Cambridge. But I do think that over the next few years, and we're already seeing it. I think we're seeing the emergence of an alternate path. And to pick up on your point about credentials, I think that that's this probably will be led by universities, this provision of alternate qualifications, because it used to be, you know, we talked a lot about where we come from, you know, you'd go to university, you would do a degree, and then you'd move into a job for life. Now, the alternative was you drop out of university, and then that would be kind of the end of you. But of course, it's not like that anymore. There's so many different alternatives out there for, for learners to kind of reestablish themselves. So I do see that we're seeing an emergence of a secondary path in higher education here in the UK. And I think it will take the form of those credentialized shorter programs that are job specific or industry specific. And I think learners are going to own that journey in their own sort of learning wallet. I think that's how we're seeing education change here. But we we're sort of we're in the middle of a, a huge change here. And it's not helped by the fact that there's the fees to go to university here are so big. And then, of course, that means that a lot of students are looking to go overseas to study where it's it's more affordable, it's more accessible. But then, of course, that's all complicated by Brexit. We're no longer in the European Union. So 
I feel that we are at a real crossroads here in the UK with our with our second with our university provision, and it's it's going to be an interesting ride to see where it takes us. Yeah, this is so cool again. <laughs> other from other regions, it's so nice. Um, I love the fact of this conversation because you know you embrace it. You know because we don't know. You know, we, we have to use that as a strategy to inform. And so, you know, when, when you look at college counseling, you look at informing communities, you know, the best, I mean, how can I, should I take physics or should I take math? Well, tell me what you want. You know, give me a direction where you're going. Um, and so we start with that here. I do, you know, and, and again, I'm not asking you to, 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 to reach into the future. I'm asking you to, to, to make the first rung on the ladder. And so I look at it as a directional opportunity than a destination. And so if someone tells me, hey, I'm interested in engineering, um, I'm interested in finance, I have a direction I can go. Because to the point of this conversation, there's so many unknowns that we can just inform the conversation to keep the motion, the, the forward movement. Again, high school, college, and career. When that when that child transitions to college, well, her knowledge base and her community base and her access to information is going to <laughs> blow up. And so I embrace that. And I, I, I think it's really important that young people see that as an opportunity and parents as well. I can't, I can't deny what our colleagues have said here. Parents, you know, um, Expectation management, you know, you really need to talk about it. I, I was in a conversation a few days ago where the parent was adamant that the child was going to be an engineer. And, you know, fortunately, the aspirations and the academics were in, in somewhat of an alignment. So it wasn't too far to reach. Um, but the conversation had to go back to, well, let's unpack engineering. Because there's that's a bucket. That's a huge bucket. Are you talking mechanical engineering? Talking you know, uh, electronic, you know, there's so many. And then, you know, are you talking about purely, you know, uh, engineering or could you look at project management or could you look at management? And so given the scope of our conversation today, I love the fact that I get to celebrate and find those loose threads and weave them into a, a, a greater narrative or a greater internal conversation for my students. I cannot, in fact, it was mentioned, I, I shouldn't be the one who's influencing directional focus. I should be the one who's informing it, providing information to our communities and our parents and our students so they can create those, those greater outcomes. Um, and I, I think it is important. Parents are stakeholders. My own daughter just went to college this year. So, you know, I I luxuriate in the fact that I got to be part of her, her conversation, although I'm not sure she would agree. But... Um, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that as a counselor, you know, we need to be a source of strength in our communities. We need to be uh, people who bring information to help our communities get better outcomes. Yeah, well said. 
And and when it comes to um, you know anticipating what the what these different skills um, will will need to be that we need to teach, you know how, how can educators? It's a bit of a, a trickier trickier question to sort of predict. But how how could educators, in, in your opinion, effectively anticipate and predict what skills they need to be teaching? Um, and how can they perhaps implement this more within their teaching practices um, to help better prepare students? And any thoughts on that one? I think as educators, we're always trying to look around the corner in the future. But there's a lot of evidence and research out there that talks about those skills gaps when students do go into the workplace. And we kind of touched a little bit on this, but um, there's a particular piece of research that is all around student versus employer perception. So I'm looking at the results on my other screen here. And, you know, they they basically quizzed a whole bunch of students who are entering the workplace in terms of how would they rate their own capabilities in mainly soft skills areas, things like leadership, things like uh, teamwork, collaboration, et cetera. And then they asked the same set of questions to employers who are working with recent graduates. And it's there where you can begin to see, you know, the big differences. So, for example, um, oral and written communication 61% of the graduates thought that that was a strong skill for them, but it was less than 40% for the, the employers. Um, similarly, with leadership, leadership, there was a huge difference between what the student perceives they're able to do and what the employer actually sees as their, as their skills. So I think that there's a lot that we can do around that. And then on that side of things, there was a, there was a post yesterday that I read on LinkedIn and it was talking about, you know, the, the one skill that employers value more than anything else is nothing academic. It's nothing to do with what you've achieved so far, but it's that willingness to continue learning. It's that lifelong learning and the, the ability to um, continue to improve and continue to learn and be open to that kind of thing. So I think that it's and OK, I'm, I'm, I realize that I'm sort of talking from a particular perspective, perhaps, but I do feel that. Um, that's an area that we should be looking at in terms of what are the skills gaps? What are we hearing from our partners in the workplace? And how can we build programs that address those deficits? Yeah, I would agree with the lifelong learning bit, <clears throat> you know, that trying to foster, I think, a culture of that continual learning, that that earning a certain degree is not a finish line, you know, that that this is just a, a step on the journey. And so whether that's high school or university or beyond, but um, in a dynamic, you know, work environment, you're you're going to have to continue to upskill and new technologies will emerge and you might have to pivot to a totally different industry and and don't think that by choosing this class or this series of classes or this school or this major or whatnot that you're you know, setting, um, you know, your, your future. Um, but I think Andy brings up a good point about kind of just all of the soft skill stuff. And I'd go back to, to kind of earlier, I mentioned that like all, whenever you read all of those surveys about workplace desirable skills, like it's, it's always the things that are not discipline specific, you know, that it, it is about, communication and teamwork and collaboration and communication, interpersonal skills, problem solving analysis, like all of these things that are, 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 are kind of 
we wind up teaching them, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the great Gatsby or it doesn't have to do with trigonometry. We it, But it's something bigger that we wind up doing. So as long as I think a, a school um, is well-developed and, and especially for schools with, I, I think, the more progressive curricula, like an IB, you know, certainly qualifies as that where you've got theory knowledge and extended essays and a variety of courses that students get to choose. And, and there's opportunities outside of the classroom to develop these interests. And I think you're actually in a pretty good spot, a good starting spot anyway, where maybe there there's a, of greater concern is, is kind of those very traditional systems, the, 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 the Gaokao in China and the DSE in Hong Kong and the Korean um, Sunyang and, and these, these very rigid drill, memorize, regurgitate, you know, sort of models of education where really that's more problematic. But I'm assuming, I think that the majority of the constituencies of that, that we work with, and that I think most, you know, people watching this are probably in that international school where you have diverse student bodies, different perspectives, you know, communication is emphasized. And at least there is that, that curricular progressiveness for the opportunity. And like, and, and I mentioned earlier that I, then I think it just comes down to pedagogy of like, well, then how are in the classroom, how are teachers creating those opportunities? Because curricularly, at least, it's in a pretty good starting spot, I think. Yeah, David, is there any final thoughts before moving on to this question? Yeah, I love this. Um, this is kind of fun. Uh, I, I love to get the perspectives, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with everything our colleagues are saying. And I think that that whole lifelong Learning, I always tell my students, man, education is a revolving door. You're going to be in and out of it for the rest of your life, especially if there's something that's got you excited. You know, if there's something that's, that's got you excited and you really, really want to do that, well, then let's let's go somewhere where you can get what you need to continue to to aspire and to achieve. And so, you know, and education is not limited to, you know, uh, a space or, or books or, you know, uh, a collegiate or you know, university setting. Um, you know, Andy, you, you mentioned earlier you spend a lot of time on YouTube. I, I tell my students and my wife knows this. I probably spend more time on YouTube than <laughs> my, my my own kids do. But I love the fact that there's so much access to information out there. I, I, I am I am so optimistic about the future. I'm so optimistic in working with the, the, the kids that I work with, and I'm sure we can all agree that, you know. We, we got this. And I, I think that that's an important thing. Some of the things we're talking about, if I'm honest with you, can be a real sticking point for kids and a real source of, of anxiety. And so just talking to kids and just bringing them back into, well, hey, let's, let's focus on this. Let's come up with some specific strategies to address some of these things that you want to achieve. And more importantly, you know, don't get, uh, don't get caught up into trying to, 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 to have that destination focus. You know, look at it as in a direction you know, look at it as evolution, look at it as growth. And and I, I laughingly tell kids, you know, I'm 29 years old and I, I still haven't figured out what I want to be when I grow up. So, you know, the, all these things are, are amazing, important touch points to, to the whole continuation and the process itself. I think I, I still remain optimistic about it. Excellent. And, um, yeah, is that is that? Do you want to? Is it? Did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. while I was thinking of this question, is I know I, I kept thinking about partnerships. You know, uh, you know, partnerships between the 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 schools, the colleges, and then the industry. You know, 
I think it's how the educators can uh, be really up to date in terms of because it, it, to be honest, all the educators, you know, they 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 follow, they read, they watch the you know these all kinds of talks that are given by the futurists or those people from the industry. But I think there should be more uh, concrete structures between uh, the the like the the higher education institutions and the industry so that. Uh, mm. The, the educators can also be up to date while preparing their learners in terms of like the designing the curriculum or you know the assessments so that uh, they can change if you know certain for example assessment methods are not necessarily you know working or not necessarily needed later then the schools have to you know change it you know there is no point of uh, I think uh, pushing things that are not needed in the second or in the third steps, you know. So, and I think we should also inform our learners about, you know, like the the changes in the industry, you know, instead of they're going to do college right after high school, maybe they should have some work experience, you know, that uh, they should hear from the industry side and then make their choices or they should, you know, choose options where they can have, uh, uh, experience direct exposure to the you know field that they want to work in and continue their education also so i think we should think of these alternatives but to make our learners and to make our educators uh, think about this i think they should also have a connection with these people so like one thing for example we are thinking is having an advisory board that's composed of university uh, you know admission officers from different parts of the world so that we can hear from them and uh, we can pass that those suggestions, those recommendations to our leadership and to our faculty. So we can, uh, we wanna create that kind of a structure. And I think it would be a good idea to also have that kind of advisory board by the people who are working in the industry. I mean, our school board is composed of people from different professions, but having more uh, a structure which can also consult, you know, the school leadership. It's an interesting point. Just, just sort of touching on that quickly. Um, you know, David and Jason, the schools that you work at, how closely do your schools work with uh, um, companies, you know, industry um, as well? Just out of interest, um, just a, I suppose, quick, quick points on that. Yeah, well, I, I, like I said, uh, you know, where our, our board is comprised of, of uh, mostly. Uh, folks here in Hong Kong working in different industries, but, but Hong Kong is also um, perhaps also a little homogenous in terms of industry in that I would say, you know, three quarters of our, our parents and board members work in finance because it's a financial capital, you know, of the world. Um, so that can provide maybe just a, a certain myopic uh, view. Uh, we do have like a, an alumni internship program, which with a couple of dozen um, of our alums who live in Hong Kong, who are willing to take on students uh, as as interns uh, of various lengths, from lengths of a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Um, we had an uh, also an alumni like careers program where we'd bring in alums to talk about their different careers. But again, it was it was very overly represented in in finance and and business, you know, at large. Um, so, so there, I wouldn't say there are deep ties, you know, but there are at least kind of some of these connection points where we try to get some of that exposure, but then COVID also, frankly, you know, kind of, um, over the last couple of years dried up some of the, the, 
the momentum that we were building, um, I think towards that, where now suddenly nobody wants anybody in the workplace if they don't belong there and, and just everything kind of like shutting down and people working remotely. And so now like, okay, well, Hong Kong has also been uh, later in the reopening, like it's only the last three or four or five months where Hong Kong has actually opened up again. Um, and so hopefully some of that winds up coming back. But even in its best circumstance, I would say we're a highly academic um, institution that that just has some of these kind of industry ties to expose students. Yeah, I would go right on the back here, Jason. And it's we have many of the same same uh, components. I think that you know schools are communities. And so I love to, to, to continue to work within the community I'm, I'm, I'm constantly helped to build. And so reaching out to parents is And Jason, I, I think well, any of us who are counseling can probably relate to and feel the same pain of trying to do a career stay. Um, it, it's a real uh-huh kind of moment. But when you've done a few and you've done three or four and it's within the community and it's an established thing that people come to expect every time of the year people step up you know um, i had the former uh regional president of honeywell in here and he was such an amazing speaker to talk about you know his how one of the apollo astronauts was heard ticking on the recording when the, the lunar ma- when the lunar uh, module was landing and he made a joke saying that was the Honeywell computer, by the way, because uh, the components went offline and your, you know, your mobile phone right now has more. Uh, and he talked about how he was the president of the slide rule group in his school. And of course, <laughs> students were like, slide rule? You know, I, I thought it was funny as sin because I clearly knew what he was talking about. He put a picture of a slide rule up there. And again, kids were like, what is that? And so... Um, setting the humor aside, having people like Norman to come in and talk to our kids and get, and there's such a, 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 an energy that's created, you know, and then to find people, we had doctors, we had uh, people come in from finance, of course, that, that work within the community. And Dubai has no shortage of, of uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs here, I should say. And, uh, you know, it's neat to kind of, even me, you know, I, I need to hear what they're saying because it helps me with my sessions with kids. And I can refer to, oh, did you hear what Mr. Collin was talking about when he was talking about, you know, forensics in accounting, you know, forensic mm. finance. I, I'm, I didn't even know that was a thing. I kind of heard about it, but to hear him talk about it, and forgive me for all the anecdotal bits here, but I hope that it underscores the absolute importance it is to, is, is at its point, you know, that, 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 that continual stakeholder collaboration amongst the high school college career thing, because, again, not unlike what I said earlier with how universities are reaching into their communities to bring in, you know, experts in the fields of whatever to who to help inform their decision making processes. That's a thing. And then, I would, you know, that that constant trickle down to where we can continually to reach into to get that same kind of content and information to have that supported by industry people uh, for schools, you know, uh, with parents working in the communities to come in and continue that conversation. It really just helps to open up a whole universe of possibilities in the young mm. mind. And I, I, I celebrate that. 
I just to jump in here, I think this is I love this conversation because one of the things that we are doing with our new programs is we've put together a steering group. So every so our academic team will put together the curriculum. And I know we're going to talk about curriculum in a moment, Max, but I just want to make this quick point. But we are then sharing that with industry experts and we're getting their input on it. We're getting their feedback on it. Before we commit anything to paper, we want to get their take on it as well. Is this is this relevant for where you see the industry going? And I think that's the kind of collaboration that we could all be doing much, much more of, you know, engage a very early stage of course planning, what the outcomes are going to be and how they fit into, into the industry that we're preparing our students for. That's epic. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. And and yeah, just, just moving on to that, just touching on, on the points of the curriculum, um, digging into a little bit before we move on to our last question. You know, what what areas of the current curriculum um, that, that you each teach do you think um, need to make the biggest changes, perhaps, in, in bridging those skills gaps? Um, is there one particular area of the curriculum or a couple of areas that, you, that you'd like to sort of mention there? Is that, do you want to, do you want to say that one? Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I... I... Uh, you know, I, I was trying to, I took some notes and, uh, you know, for the curriculum, I think the biggest, uh, you know, changes to have these bridges, the bridge, to, you know, skill gaps is, again, you know, making it more uh, like merging it with the needs, uh, merging it with the trends, like uh, definitely climate change, you know, is, uh, you know, is going to create new jobs, right? That's why I think they, they call it green is the new digital. For example, you know, that's why I think uh, incorporating the SDGs into the curriculum, you know, is important, you know, in the in my opinion. Or uh, bringing the, you know, the, um, the, the, the community problems into the classroom or taking the students outside the classroom so that they have, you know, they're exposed, you know, as part of their curriculum, you know, to these uh, problems and they can understand what kind of skill sets they need, you know, to learn so that, you know, they can chase or they can uh, try to find out those uh, learning uh, or, you know, opportunities within our school structure or outside the school structure. Because right now we also, I mean, we have a lot uh, resources, a lot of resources at school, but we are also, you know, encouraging our st students to go beyond that. You know, if they have, if they're interested in, astronomy if they're interested in you know uh space travel like we you know direct them to different resources because i think they you know they have that option um i think this is how we can you know uh, by merging these uh you know uh big you know problems or uh, big changes big trends that are you know uh, going towards the future into our curriculum so that we will be preparing our learners, you know, uh, for their career paths, and we will be, I mean, not only the skill sets, but it's also the 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 mindset, you know, preparing them. That's why there is a huge emphasis on, for example, global citizenship, you know, in our school, for example. And I hear it from my colleagues, you know, uh, you know, and I'm also taking one certification program, which is the global citizenship, you know, so. I think uh, that's how we can uh, fill those gaps. David, Jason, any thoughts there? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with what is it just said. The only thing I would add to that is, as well as curriculum, I think we need to 
think as much about curriculum as we do about delivery. Um, so how are we, what modality are we delivering our education in? And I appreciate that different contexts perhaps close some of the doors in that sense. But I think um, what we're doing at Immerse is everything is blended. So we're moving away from just tutor instruction. We're creating self-study modules. So we're kind of encouraging that independent thinking and that sort of self-study autonomous learning. Because I think that by structuring a program right a program like that you're actually mirroring what will happen later in life in the workplace we've talked a lot about remote working and i think i don't think that's something that is going away i think it's going to increase um so we're looking increasingly at hybrid digital models for our programs and how they can then accurately reflect what's around the corner what's coming once you enter the workplace and you know aside from all that i think at its heart any program has to have you know great teaching that's always what's going to set it apart irrespective of how it's delivered because you know nobody ever remembers a good computer but they'll remember a good teacher well said david jason any final thoughts on on areas of the curriculum um that needs to be changes yeah just a few quick hits i'd say that um I think like, say, for instance, like English, I think it's sometimes dependent upon the school or the class, be a little too focused on, say, grammar or vocabulary or things that frankly are kind of now, I think we all outsource to Grammarly or like some other, you know, sort of software program. So while it's understand, like it, it's important to have an understanding, I think, of those fundamentals. I do think that an English class ought to be, especially at the high school level, um, you know, more geared towards the the rhetoric and the credible sources and the gathering evidence and the argumentation, kind of like the, that higher level stuff. Um, I think math can sometimes be um, a little stuck in just solving different kinds of problems, but totally out of context. Um, so I think of my own math education and where like when it came to calculus, like I could do whatever problem the teacher was telling me, but I had no idea what I was doing or why I was doing it. Oh. So I think trying to insert as much of like a real world context of like, how might this be used for this type of, you know, kind of problem rather than just moving from one problem set, you know, to another. Um, and then I think rather than than kind of, um, you know, making the changes, I think even just emphasizing the things that I, I, I think are already do going well, you know, the theory of knowledge and extended essay and AP capstone and uh, National History Day was one that at, at one school of mine, they just, our students got so excited about this kind of, and I think Andy, I think it was Andy who mentioned something like that. Like it, when you have an audience, you know, that you're actually presenting stuff to, I'm not turning in a paper to a teacher, like an audience of one who's just going to give me a grade, but I'm actually like presenting something to people who are going to walk around or, or people who are going to listen to a presentation. Like as a student, you see them all like up their game, like there's more at stake here uh, than just a grade. Um, science labs usually are a great kind of application, you know, of, of learning. And I think we see it all the time, like other applied learning with, you know, music concerts. Like we don't just have students learn pieces and play it for the music teacher, but we have them, you know, collaborate as an ensemble, as an orchestra, and then they're performing for everybody. And like everybody's, there's that extra pressure to like learn their parts. Cause like, Hey, we're actually trying to put something together or we're doing the play or the musical or the art students have a gallery and people are going to see this. And, you know, again, those hackerathons or the makerspaces where people are collaborating then maybe there's competitions and, and, you know, our team is trying to develop this, but any of that, I think there are enough of those, I think already there, or, or, or I, I would say we have these prototypes, but how can we just kind of 
all right, how can we double that? How can we triple that? How can we get that into certain classes where maybe that doesn't fit as well as it does for robotics and the hackathons and the coding and some of the more technologically driven, you know, sort of subjects and um, yeah, just trying to find more spaces to implement those. I, I want to give one example, Max, you know, to, to explain, to also exemplify what I say, for example, in, uh, uh, I see that like in the last few years, the English teachers are asking more uh, uh, the concerns about the, the mental health, you know, content of their books that they choose, for example, which is, I think, one of the skills that, you know, in, like I'm talking about resiliency or mental health uh, awareness is definitely something uh, I think that will be more and more uh, important in the future in the workplaces also. And, and another important, I think, changes is uh, my colleague is the EDIJ, like inclusion, di you know, equity, diversity, inclusion and justice coordinator. And for example, they are, uh, he works with the English teachers while they are choosing the content, like the books, or the text they read, which is, I think, also important because, uh, you know, the cross-cultural competence is one of the skill sets, for example, that's, the you know, needed, uh, I think, that's getting more and more important in the workplaces, in the companies. So I think when I mentioned about merging things, you know, these are the, I think, examples in English, social studies, you know, and there are other uh, examples of it, but of course the time is limited. I just want to mention it, you know, quickly. That's an excellent point. Yeah, for sure. David, any any final thoughts on that with regards to the curriculum before we move on to the last question? I'm going to help you with this, actually. I'm going to kind of tip my hat to the last the question as well. And, and I just want to start off by saying, Jason, I'm so impressed that you made it all the way to calculus, brother. I don't think I got past algebra without <laughs> a huge mental string. <laughs> um, yeah, I think if... Uh, and leading into the last part, if I had my magic wand and I could, I could somehow, uh, you know, conjure up a change, it would be um, to incorporate career and guidance counseling and you know college counseling into a regular curriculum. Um, just a show of hands, are, are any of you do, do your schools actually incorporate that into the daily daily curriculum, Jason? Is that Andy? Do you guys do you guys incorporate college and career counseling into the regular curriculum? Sure. We're, we're slightly different, but yeah, we, we do a little bit of that. Yeah, not Jason. into content classes, but we uh, our counseling program has a, a a seminar curriculum at each grade level, grade nine through twelve. So we have like a one quarter to one semester class, depending upon the grade level, um, that kind of touches on various social emotional learning or university um, advising or in grade 10 is where we tend to emphasize a little bit more of the the career um, exposure bits. That, that's we, important too. Is that? We do have six weeks modules for each grade level where we, you know, talk about different things like in uh, grade, grade 10 more the career emphasis, career counseling, and then grade 11 college and obviously the in grade 12 so but i don't think it's enough the six weeks because where i came from uh robert college istanbul where you know we had one hour embedded to the weekly schedule so that you can go really you know deep in different uh levels you know like the the career counseling college counseling so cool. i you know i can see the difference you know yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, again, that's my magic wand moment, you know, um, I, that that would be 
my, my final thoughts on, on that would be my big change if I can make it. And I think that um, areas in the curriculum to go back to, to the question we're currently is I would love to see, you know, the work that we do being incorporated into a larger curricula structure. Um, I'm pretty lucky in that I'm moving in that direction. Um, SLT here, senior leadership here at Dwight uh, are fantastic and they're very supportive of that um, because it helps on so many different levels. And so if, again, I think if I could make that curriculum change along with the interdisciplinary thing that, that keeps popping up, I think that is super terrific. Learning with a purpose, right? Um, that would be the, the the biggest changes that I that I would make. Fantastic, thanks, guys. And now we're running a little bit over time, but yeah, just just sort of touching on the last question. Um, and I know we talked a lot about these different areas that, that need to be changed and developed, and and already things that are you know being done really well and amplifying those in schools. Um, is there is there one particular change uh, that you think every school should make in anticipation of preparing students for the future world of work going forwards? Is there sort of one thing that's front of mind? Who'd like to take that one? I mean, I for me, oh, sorry, is it you go, please? No, 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 please, please, you're first. Uh, I was just going to repeat the point I made earlier. I just think engage with industry leaders, engage with industry experts, think about how that can influence your curriculum, think about how that can influence the outcomes that our students will have. That's just, that's it for me, really. Fantastic. Anyway, is that, yeah. I think you know the the I uh, you know I totally agree and uh, I would say the same thing you know like with Andy you know uh, we, we shouldn't isolate ourselves you know from the you know the world that we are living in you know and that that's for example what I see uh, as a big difference between where I work where I live and with what uh, where Andy is now I think between the uh, students like learners that we work with you know I sometimes feel that Middle East I don't know how uh you know you uh, feel um david but uh it's not very it's quite artificial sometimes and it also i think causes the learners students not necessarily feel the you know the realities understand the realities of the industry or the real world problems but what i would say is i like co-op practices you know of some universities in for example in different countries i think high schools can do something like that where you know, as part of the curriculum, you know, uh, making it compulsory for students to have an experience, you know, uh, the experience in the industry, which I think will be important uh, to talk about their career and, you know, uh, it will give them uh, uh, the exposure for us as counselors to work with later, you know, so that's my opinion. Fantastic. David, Jason, any final thoughts on that? The one change? For me, I guess I, rather than making a change, I, I think I'd, I'd advocate for not making a certain change, which is I think there's a temptation to move in that a much greater STEM direction and, and mandate coding and um, kind of perhaps um, uh, uh, strip away some of those humanities um, because they are more broad-based and maybe a little less professional and, and oriented towards uh, career opportunities. But I think that would be a mistake um, because I, for a couple of reasons. One, I think I think the humanities actually provide a lot of those critical thinking, the communication, all of those things that employers actually want. Um, and, and actually, as a fellow history major, I think, Andy, you were a history major too. I also feel like it has provided 
us with a certain adaptability of like, no, I'm not a historian. <laughs> but at the same time, I think we picked up a number of, you know, vital skills along the way that when you are facing an unpredictable, ambiguous, uh, you know, all the VUCA, I forgot all of the uh, the, acron- the the acronym, but when you are facing that future, if, if you get a, an accounting degree or you get a certain like professional degree, you do run the risk of, of, of having a very narrow focus. And yes, you're more likely to be employed at 23, I suppose. But then what happens when TurboTax partners with an AI software program and, and accountants are no longer needed or when the law profession shrinks by 50% because your very basic contract write-ups, you know, are done, you know, automated. And so uh, being able to, to kind of, you know, go with the times and and having more of those general skills, I think is important, but then also even just from the sake of, um, you know, if you're, if you're just focused on STEM, then you also run the risk of, I think, becoming an overly technocratic like society where you're just, you know, inventing for the sake of inventing and, and, and not necessarily thinking about why are we doing things and should we do things and what are the ethics behind that and what are the rules that we should set up around it and and then there's potentially uh some danger there um and and less thought and less culture and and, and so i guess i would encourage don't don't over correct because <laughs> again i think like this foundation is still pretty solid for that future. And it's probably more just like little tweaks, you know, here and there rather than a, a true revolution that's needed. David, any final thoughts there? Yeah, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I probably led in with, you know, what I thought was an important contribution to curriculum. Um, again, having a, a college and career component to, a curriculum, and I think that you know, with that kind of outreach, well, creating uh, authentic outreach with universities, which I absolutely love to do, um, and by doing so, I'm able to bring colleagues in. You know, when Jeff Jones is in the region, I'll say, "Hey, want me to come in and talk to your teachers about, uh, you know, um, setting up an art portfolio, or let me talk to them about some of the new digital structures that are built." Absolutely, you know, and I, and I can go on and name you know, a number of colleagues who can not only inform uh, my community about, you know, best fits and preparedness, but also talk to my colleagues and, and, and community and senior leaders. And to the point I keep coming back to that continuum, you know, our, our university counterparts can really lean into, you know, uh, if they could put the marketing sticks away and, and, and grasp a, a greater outreach potential, um, I think that's, a, that's a, my favorite word is house fire. And so that would be my magic wand is to, to incorporate greater structures for career, future preparedness and, and, and counseling along those lines to, to the extent that we can service and provide greater value, not only to our community, but to our, our staff, our students, and, and pretty much everybody we serve. Fantastic. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Fascinating conversation. And um, yeah, maybe in five to 10 years, well, this conversation will be entirely different, but you never know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating to, to think about where things, where things are, where things are headed, um, what the current situation is with the schools and, and the great, fantastic pieces of you know guidance that, that you're, you're putting in place and bridging those gaps between secondary school, higher education, the world of work, you know, that can only be a, a good thing, right? So um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, really looking forward to maybe doing a part two.